Good morning once again and thank you. Uh, we will be observing the Lord's Supper in just a few minutes at the end of the sermon. If you did not get this on your way in, we will have some deacons pass these things out in just a few minutes. So, so don't fret. We will make sure that you get what you need this morning. Uh, just a couple of, uh, of notes by way of information. If you were not here last Sunday to hear sort of our, our, our refocus plan that we will be voting on in a few weeks, there is a tab on our website that Kevin put up this week. I'll, uh, we'll, we'll make sure we email that, that link out directly this week. So it's got uh, the plan. And, and if you have questions, please reach out. I, I know many of you in life group probably wrestled through that. For those of you who are members here already, your deacons are going to be calling you if they haven't already just to kind of gauge your interest in that. But um, just, just keep those things in mind as we're moving forward. All right, we're in the book of Job this morning. One of, if not my favorite book in all of God's words. I'm very excited. As a matter of fact, I'm so excited that I'm, I'm taking a position of pastoral privilege. And, uh, and, and next Sunday we'll be in Job again. I, I'm going to do two weeks in Job just because I can. So uh, I am looking forward to that. But if you have your Bible, we're in the book of Job chapter 1 this morning. And if you've ever heard me preach through Job, sorry. All right, we're going to be in Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. As you're standing, just a little word of information. Job is one of, if not the oldest book that we have in the Bible. So the, the period that Job covers is that period of time during the patriarchal period. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it's in that time frame. It may have actually been recorded, so written down, even before the book of Genesis. Now that doesn't mean that the events took place, obviously, before uh, creation, but it may have actually been recorded before that. So the book of Job is, is wonderful and beautiful. Even in the secular world, it is one of the most appreciated pieces of literature, ancient literature, in the entire world. But of course, we know it to be more than just a piece of ancient literature, but inspired, holy word of God. So here now, for this is the word of the Lord. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house? And all that he has on every side, you've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, this is a difficult and challenging passage of Scripture. And yet, Lord God, we take it at face value because it is holy writ. It is your word. This morning, as we consider the story of Job, as we consider suffering in our words, we consider, Lord God, whether or not we would be worthy of consideration. Lord God, may we, may we end, Lord God, with a reminder that Jesus suffered for our sins and none of his own. God, be with us, teach us, enlighten us, inspire us in Christ's name. Amen. Listen. You've got a sermon study guide in front of you, and it's an outline, and we're going to change it up. So take your little pen if you take notes, and here's what the three points are going to be. Number one, life may not always be what it seems. Number two, God is in control. And then number three, as it was, God is always worthy of praise. 
You know, life isn't always what it seems. Earlier this year, a photographer outside of Kent in the United Kingdom captured a picture of a large ship flying through the air above the sea. I think we got that picture on the screen. Y'all see that? Have y'all seen this picture? The ship, if you'll notice, pay close attention, is flying. It is not on the surface of the sea. Now, this was taken by just a, a photographer walking. Experts have weighed in. This has not been photoshopped. This is reality. This is what the man saw. But experts weighed in, and they called this visual experience a Fata Morgana. I hope I said that right. I probably butchered it. And it occurs because rays of light are bent when they pass through air layers of different temperatures and steep thermal inversions where an atmospheric duct has formed. Now, I knew all that, of course, because of my meteorological um, education. But essentially, it's this. It's a superior mirage that occurs because of the weather condition. And the temperature inverts, so cold air lies close to the sea with the warmer air above. And since the cold air is denser than warm air, it bends light toward the eyes of someone standing in the distance, making the mirage appear. Listen, the man standing there took this photograph, and this is exactly what he saw. But what he saw is not the reality of what it was. Natural conditions affected what he saw the ship appeared to fly but of course that isn't the case not everything is as it appears which brings us to the story of Job why did Job suffer why did Job suffer in in the ancient world the belief was very simple if you do bad things bad things happen to you if you do good things good things happen to you as a matter of fact people still like to live according to that that's why we had a book years ago why do bad things happen to good people Somebody countered that argument a few years ago and said, why do good things happen to good? Why does anything good happen to any of us when we are all sinners and falling short of God's glory? Why did Job suffer? What we, what we discovered this morning, now what I gave you in the, in the opening here is, is a scene inside the throne room of God. The curtain has been pulled back. We've been given eyes to see the spiritual experience in the world around us. The, the Apostle Paul told us that that the world is not just flesh and blood, but we battle against what? The spiritual powers in the spiritual realm. All of these things exist that are beyond our eyes, beyond our ability to perceive or to see. But what the Lord has allowed us to have here in the book of Job is a pulling back of the curtain and, and a vision into the very throne room of God. And what we're going to discover if we continue reading in the book of Job is that after this, Job does suffer greatly. Job doesn't suffer just a little bit. You know, Job doesn't stub his toe or cut his finger. Job loses everything. He loses his children. He loses his fortune. Job was a wealthy man. And the wealthier you are, the more you can lose, right? He lost it all. He's left with nothing but his, but his wife. And what we're going to find is that at some point, even his own wife turns against him. Job cursed God and died. Ladies, I do want to remind you of the power you have over your husband. You can build him up or you can break him. Don't ever miss that, ladies. Don't ever miss it. But why did Job suffer? What we find this morning is that Job suffered not because of his evil. Job suffered just the opposite. Job suffered because of his faith. The Bible says that Satan appeared before the Lord. He presented himself there. And he says, where have you been, devil? He says, I've been doing whatever in the world I wanted to do. That's what that passage means. That's what those, those words mean. I'm going to and fro across the earth, and nobody is stopping me. God, I have news for you. 
when I rebelled against you and you cast me out of heaven and you cast me down to this earth, God, I want you to know that I am the God of this realm. I'm in control. And contrary to what you might want to tell people and contrary to what you might want to believe, there's nobody who's actually following you because when I set foot on the earth, when I, as Peter says, am at roaring lion going to and fro seeking those he may, whom he may devour, Satan says, I'm having absolutely no difficulty. Folks, side note here, how many of you can, can, could t- say, if we asked you to raise your hand this morning, that there have been many times in your life when Satan had absolutely no difficulty in your own life? When temptation came and you didn't wrestle with that temptation, you didn't struggle with that temptation, you rolled over as soon as the temptation presented itself. Folks, I, I like to say, and I say a lot, that there's victory in the struggle. For those of you today who are struggling with temptation, for those of you who are struggling with sin or struggling with, with hardship, I want you to know there's victory in there because it's that time under tension that makes us stronger. But so many times the struggle comes and we just roll over. Folks, there's victory in the struggle. Don't, don't miss that, but... Job, show, or the, the Satan says, I've been doing whatever I wanted. And the Lord does something that probably none of us really want the Lord to do in our own life. The Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? The question I asked this morning is, are you worthy of consideration? Am I worthy of consideration? When the Lord sees the greatest battles that need to be fought in the world around us, does the Lord say, have you considered that one? Because he's mine. Folks, I want you to know that when you step to the plate to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and when you're committed to serving him with all you have, there's no guarantee that everything's going to be peaceful, easy, and comfortable. Sometimes we get thrown right into the mix of it, don't we? This weekend we're observing Memorial Day, and we're being reminded that the best and brightest among us have often gone to the hardest and most dangerous places, and they have not come back alive. The Bible says that Satan said, I've been doing whatever I wanted. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? When I was in high school, we were in a playoff game. I was a senior, and uh, I, was, I was a good high school football player, right? There's a difference, so it's, it's clear. You know, that doesn't mean I was going to be great at anything else. I was a really good high school football player. And our left tackle was getting beat to death, all right? They had, they had a stud of a defensive end that was about 240 pounds. He seemed like he must have ran about a 4-3. I don't know. At that, and that night... We couldn't do anything to stop him. I played almost exclusively on defense, but our left tackle was getting absolutely destroyed. And I'm on the sidelines, and our quarterback's running for his life. Our quarterback's named Travis Smith. He's actually a pastor over in Columbia now, uh, Air Force veteran. I'm, I'm on the sidelines, and I hear my name being yelled, Craig, Craig, where's Craig? Thompson, where are you? And I run up, and there stood my offensive line coach, And he said, get in there and stop this guy. He said, he's getting killed. Go, I don't care what you do, do not let him touch the quarterback. Yes, sir, I'm on it. You can count on me, and in I go. And I did everything right. I did. Listen, hike, I kick step, and here I come. And that guy ran right past me. I never got a hand on him. (laughs) Not one. They threw me in the thick because the thought was that there's the guy that can handle everything. Folks, I got beat to death. I'm turning around screaming at the quarterback, run! He's going to kill you, and I didn't do anything to stop him. It didn't usually happen that way, just so you all know. That was just a one-off, one-off. Normally I was, I'm kidding. 
You know, life's not always what it seems. When, when I got yelled at to go into that game, when I got yelled at to go in there and have that guy eat my lunch, the thought that my coach had was that you're the best we've got to go in there and to handle this situation. Now, unfortunately for him, the best we had was not good enough. Our, their best was better than our best, apparently, or they just had an overinflated opinion of what I could do. Folks, sometimes we suffer in life because we do the right thing. Sometimes we suffer in life because we've chosen to serve the Lord. And sometimes serving the Lord puts us right in the crosshairs of the evil one. How many of you can remember when you came to the Lord? For those of you that are believers in here, some of you aren't. That's okay. But many of you could remember when you went through a period of transition in your life, when the Lord was at work in your life, when He was drawing you to Himself, and when you, you came to a place at the end of your sin, you'd run out of your road, and, and you were ready to give everything to Jesus. How many of you saw your life get better overnight? So many of you could tell a story that when you gave your life to Christ, it seemed like the gates of hell broke loose against you. How many of you could tell the story when you realized your need to be actively involved in a local church, it seemed like everything that could go wrong went wrong. I'm going to be there this Sunday and you wake up with the flu. Or your kids throwing up in, 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 in the bathroom. Or just what we all seem, seem to know about on a Sunday morning that we're going to be there no matter what and it seemed like the devil possesses your children. All of you can tell a story like that, or so many of you, maybe not all of you, if you hadn't told it yet, it's coming in your life, okay? When you decide to be serious about serving the Lord, some of you are going to lose friends. Some of you can recount those stories, can't you? That your whole goal in life was to serve Jesus and to make His, His name known, but it turned out that when you got serious about the Lord Jesus Christ, there were many in your life who got serious about avoiding you. Life's not always what it seems. Sometimes we're not suffering because we've done bad things. And, and, and the story of Job, what we're going to see as we work through it, is that we're going to make it all the way to the end. And Job's going to say, God, tell me why. You know that Job's not going to get an answer. Now, we get a vision, and we see something that Job didn't see, but Job's not going to get an answer. Job, it just happened. And you can trust me. If you're here today and you're going through a tough time, I want you to know that God has not left. He is still on His throne. If you're praying and it seems like your prayers aren't making it through the ceiling, can I tell you that though the devil himself may have presented himself before the Lord, he didn't unseat Him. Do you understand that? God didn't present himself before Satan. Satan presented himself before the Lord. I don't know if you know what it's like to present yourself in front of royalty, but you do it on your face, on your hands and your knees. You don't look up out of fear. And Satan crawled in and he groveled and he said, You're nothing. And God says, Really? I'm still on the throne. Are you in a hard place today? See, we, we, we sing these songs about how great life is and how much we love the Lord. And we show up at church and we paint a smile on our face and we raise our hands. But the reality is that some of you walk in here weighed down by burdens. And unfortunately for some of you, now some of you, I, I want to be honest. If you're living in sin, 
then your suffering may very well be on you. And you don't get to blame the devil for that. There are consequences for our sin. Our sin separates us from God and the people that we love. But folks, I also want you to know this. The devil's whispered in some of your ears and said, this is all your fault. Listen, when the devil whispers in your ear and says, it's all your fault, and there's no concrete evidence that any of it's your fault, believe me when I say this. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. And folks, the devil comes to do what? To accuse the brethren. And there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction says you're wrong, but Jesus is right. Condemnation says you can't ever be loved. Condemnation says you can't do anything. Condemnation says you don't deserve, but conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And conviction might put us on our knees, but it points our gaze at the cross of Jesus Christ and reminds us that broken though we may be, suffering though we may be, Jesus is still greater. Folks, I want you to know this morning that life isn't always what it seems, but God is still always on his throne. That brings us to the second point this morning. God is in control. Now, Job suffered greatly. He lost everything. But don't miss the beginning. The Lord is in control. Satan presents himself. Now, the Bible doesn't explain all of this, okay? We're left to speculate. And if you jump into good liberal scholars, they will say to you that, that when the Bible says Satan, it just means the accuser and that we shouldn't personalize this or believe. Let me tell you something, folks. When the Bible says that Satan presented himself, this is the devil himself, and the devil is real. We need not explain away evil in our world because it doesn't fit within our 21st century scientific mindset. The Bible says that Satan presented himself, a real sentient being presented himself before the Lord God. We're left to speculate or simply to believe. And folks, I just choose to believe that what the Bible says happened is what happened. But what I also see right here is that God is still in control. Sometimes when things go wrong, as I already mentioned, we want to give the devil credit. But there's two things to consider. First of all, when you sin and you mess up your life, that's on you and not the devil or anyone else. God didn't do that to you. But second, I want you to remember this. When you find yourself attacked spiritually, remember Job. Remember this story. Remember this. The devil wanted to attack Job. You ready? Before he could, Satan had to have permission from the Lord. Evie Hill is one of my favorite preachers of all time. Evie Hill died years ago, but Evie Hill preached his wife's funeral from the book of Job. And if you've never listened to that sermon, let me encourage you to go home today and Google that sermon. It is one of my favorite sermons of all time. I can't preach Job without mentioning Evie Hill because I'm indebted so heavily to that message. But from that sermon, Brother Hill points out that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. But for those of us who belong to Jesus, the good shepherd, we can be reminded that Satan doesn't always get to do what he came to do. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus is our good shepherd. The thief can't break in. The thief is only successful as the Lord allows him to be. In this life, we can't always understand the nature and the reason for suffering. We don't understand why the Lord allows this broken world to continue to suffer and struggle. But we can know this. God is in control. 
In John 10, where the Lord teaches us that Satan is a thief, Jesus also gives us this great promise in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 29. Let me read it to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but folks, he don't get to steal from the Lord. Suffering is a reality in our world and bad things happen. And the book of Job teaches us that we won't always know the full reason why we suffer. It's even possible that our suffering is not our fault at all. However, we can be confident, you can be confident, that no matter what came your way yesterday, what comes your way today, or what awaits you tomorrow, the Lord has never been surprised. He's never been caught off guard. There's never been a point in time when he said, oh, didn't see that coming. He's not wringing his hands in heaven going, oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm going to do about this situation. Oh, there's this new ideology that's come out that's threatened the church. Oh, God's up there just, oh, what am I going to do? No, he's seated on his throne. And Satan has presented himself before the Lord and says, I've been doing whatever I wanted. And God said, really? I don't know if you remember, but I built the church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The devil comes and he whispers in your ear that you can't really belong to Jesus. That a person that did what you've done couldn't actually be saved. That perhaps if you're suffering the way you're suffering, then it's obvious that Jesus has turned its back on you. Folks, you know that Jesus has already launched a preemptory strike on that. He's already told us that no matter what, the, what Satan might say to us, no matter what the world might say to us, Jesus has prom, already promised us this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know this. For 100% that your salvation is secure. Not only today, but for all of eternity. You say, Craig, how can you be so confident? Because you didn't do anything to earn it, and you can't do anything to get rid of it. You understand that? Jesus died on the cross before you were ever born. He died for your sins before you were twinkling in your mama's eye. And if Jesus has secured your salvation before the foundations of the world, according to the book of Revelation, then you can be certain that that which he has recorded is that which is being recorded in his blood, and nobody can wipe it away. We get all kind of excited about the freedom that we have as Americans. But folks, we are free forever in Christ. And nobody can wipe that away. In some challenging times of my own life, I've been comforted by God's word and his promises in Isaiah 43.1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing I enjoy more as a parent than to look my children in the eye and say, you're my son, you're my daughter, and nothing in all the world can ever change that. Do you know that my kids, especially my little ones still, they get a little nervous about that. The old ones have kind of gotten to deal with my weirdness, so they kind of move on, you know, whatever, dad, yeah, that's good. You know, but, but the young ones, they still get a little... Because I, I, like I like to get the little ones. You know, I can't do it with the big ones. They, they're big. I, you know, 
a little, I get in real close. I say, hey, you are mine, and nothing can ever change that. And I tell them that all the time. I lay down in bed with them at night when they've been in absolute holy terror, and I say, I am frustrated and I am tired, but you are mine. And nothing will ever change that. They strike out, and I pull them off to the side, and I say, you're mine, and nothing will ever change that. They score a touchdown, I pull them to the side, and I say, you're mine, and nothing will ever change that. They're mean to their mama, I pull them to the side, I say, you do that again, and I'm going to introduce you to Jesus, but you're still mine, and nothing will ever change that. (laughs) Folks, do you know? Do you know? That if you have been saved, if there's been a point in time in your life when you became cognizant of your own sin, you confessed your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ asked Him to save you, do you know this, that you are saved not only today, not only tomorrow, but for all of eternity? Not only saved until Jesus returns, the Bible says He's going to come back, and then we're going to still be saved for a long time after that. And then for a long time after that, and then on and on. See, I say to mine, you're mine. But Jesus says, you're mine for eternity. It's the kind of love that he has for us. God is still in control. God is in control. And folks, Job must have been wondering at times. Do you remember the story of John the Baptist? John the Baptist was in prison i got to be careful. I told you I like Job. I could preach for, for another hour, but I won't do that to y'all. But John the Baptist was imprisoned. John, John had done what has gotten a lot of preachers in trouble in the last year. John had stood up and looked at the king and said, you're wrong. Now, folks, I want you to hear me say... That if you ever have a pastor that won't look at a politician and say you're in sin when they are, then you've got a pastor who's walked away from his commitment and his conviction to not only preach the word, but to be prophetic against sin when we see it. John stood up and he said, you're wrong, Herod. That's your brother's wife. And you're wrong. Well, John was not real popular for that opinion, and John was imprisoned as a result. And in prison, John was awaiting his execution. But John only had one purpose on planet Earth. Do you know that? Do you know that sometimes you were born for one purpose? John accomplished a lot of things, but John had one purpose, and it was what? It was to pave the way for the Lord. I got a pastor friend of mine, he talks about a really difficult church he pastored in when he was younger. This guy's actually retired now. He said, Craig, you know what I learned? I learned that God put me in that church to meet one person. He said, I look back, I don't know that I accomplished anything else, but God put me there for one person. John had one job. And here he is in prison, and Jesus didn't look like he thought he should. John's been eating locusts and wild honey, running around in camel hair and a leather belt. I've been suffering, I've been serving, and this Jesus shows up. I baptized him, and I promised that he was going to bring fire. But instead, the only thing he's done is feed a couple people on the side of a mountain. He's running around with 12 rejects. I'm in prison. And he calls somebody and says, can y'all go and just ask him? 
Has my life been a waste? Did I fail? See, I thought you were the one. And Jesus gives what has been called a blessing of the unoffended. He says, you go back and you tell John this. The deaf hear, the lame speak, the crippled walk. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus says, John, it might not seem like it, but I am right where I'm supposed to be. John, I know you're suffering, and it might not be what you anticipated, but John, I'm actually still on the throne. This is all perfectly in line with God's plan. John, it didn't work out the way you thought it would, but John, it's going to be okay. Folks, are you afraid today? Will you trust the Lord? The Bible says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's the promise from the psalmist in Psalm 118. What can man do? Folks, you can trust him. But can I tell you that even when everything goes wrong, I want you to know it might not always be what it seems. I want you to know that God's in control. But even when everything goes wrong, can I tell you that God is always worthy of praise? I told you that E.B. Hill preached this sermon for his wife's funeral, but I didn't tell you the passage that he used. He preached it from Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Then Job arose and tore his robe. This is after he's lost his children and everything, all of his possessions. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When do we praise the Lord? We praise the Lord when the sun shines and when it rains. We praise the Lord when life is good and when life is bad. Job says, Shall we accept good from the Lord and not take the bad as well? Folks, praise Him. Do you want to impact others? Let them see you trust Christ in the good times and the bad. Oh, it's easy to be a fair-weather Christian, isn't it? Now, we know the warnings. There's this happy medium. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a danger for we as Americans who have so much self-sufficiency that we don't recognize our need for the Lord because all of our needs have been met. So there's a danger that exists in that moment. But there's another danger that exists, isn't there? When life gets hard, when life gets challenging, when bad things happen, we're tempted to walk away. To turn from the Lord. Folks, if you want to impact others, let them see you trust Christ in the good times and the bad. Let them see you trust Christ when the world is falling down around you. Job sat in his grief. 
And Job worshipped the Lord. The Apostle Paul knew a little bit about that. The book of Philippians chapter 4. Apostle Paul says this in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. God is always worthy of praise. What's going on in your life today? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it easy? Is it hard? God's in control. Have you praised Him for the plenty in your life? Have you found yourself on your knees giving the Lord praise and glory for the blessing that He's brought? Heaven help those of us who would look much like Nebuchadnezzar. Look at the kingdom that I've built. Is your life hard? Is it hard today? Have you gone to the Lord? Have you praised Him for what He's done and prayed? He'll be with you when life is good and when life is bad. God is still in control. He's really in control. And He's worthy of praise. And He's not left you. And listen. Maybe it isn't your fault. And let me just offer this other word. God's not mad at you. Believer, listen to me. God's not mad at you. God's anger was propitiated upon the cross of Calvary. God poured out His wrath on the precious Son of God. Jesus took your punishment. In just a minute, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Our children are going to be coming in just a moment, so y'all just kind of tolerate the interruption. We want them to be a part of this. And um, we'll have some, some guys step up in just a moment to make sure that you've got the things that you need. But I thought it was, it was very appropriate that it just so happened in God's good sovereignty that we would be preaching from the book of Job on a Sunday when we would be observing the Lord's Supper. Because Job suffered for no sin of his own. And when we observe the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that Jesus suffered for absolutely no sin of his own. The perfect Son of God died not because he deserved death. He died because we deserved death. And he died in our place. Kids are great. They really are. They're, 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 they're so innocent and they ask questions. 
And they don't, they, don't, they don't worry about the questions they ask. And so Sloan asked me the other day, he and Brooklyn were asking all kinds of questions about the Lord and about the Lord's Supper. And, 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 and they, they had questions about the crucifixion and why did Jesus die? And Sloan said, but if he didn't do anything wrong, why would he die? Was God mad at him? He said, was God mad that Jesus did that? Was Jesus mad at God because it happened? I said, what if I told you that God loved you that much? That Jesus loved you that much? So much to take the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary to rescue us from punishment in hell. You see, this morning we're going to observe the Lord's Supper and we're going to do so as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. But we're also going to do so as a reminder that the suffering Son of God did nothing wrong. But we get all of the blessing. If Job is a picture of suffering in the world, Jesus is the full and final picture of what it looks like to suffer for the wrongs of another. And this morning, we're going to reflect upon that. we got a couple of guys who are going to come. And if you did not grab one of these on your way in, if you would just slip your hand up real quick, they're going to make sure that you have one of these little cups. We've been observing the Lord's Supper this way um, since uh, really the beginning of COVID, since we were outdoors and all the other things. So uh, just, just slip your hand up. And we will wait for our children. And we do that because we think it's important that uh, for those of them that are, that are Christians, that they can participate with us. But also for those who aren't, we want them to be learning and understanding. As they're coming in, and as we think about the connection between Job and Jesus, what if I told you that the greatest praise that Jesus ever gave to the Lord to his father the greatest praise that Jesus ever gave was his willingness to suffer on on the cross of Calvary that was the greatest praise his greatest offering his greatest act and this morning as we observe the Lord's Supper I, I want to remind all of you that this is bread and juice it's a wafer and juice it's a it's a reminder of what Jesus did. We do this as you look at this table in remembrance of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is not salvific. That means nobody gets saved because they do this act. Instead, in this act, we remember what Christ has done on our behalf. So in just a moment, I'm going to read the scripture for you and um, from 1 Corinthians and uh, you might want to just go ahead. You can go ahead and peel that little top layer back. They're a little complicated. But you guys are an above average congregation, so I know that we can do this. Okay? And let me read to you what the Bible says. And this is exactly what happened on the night that Jesus was to be delivered and was to be betrayed. The Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, who gave himself so that we might live. I pray that in this act of remembrance, God, that we would be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. In his name, amen. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And if you want to go ahead and just peel that other layer back. The scriptures say that in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Let's pray once more. Father God, we thank you for the shed blood of Jesus, the precious Son of God, who died willingly in love. Father, as we do this, I pray, Lord God, that we would do this in remembrance of you and proclaim your death until you return. Amen. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There may be some of you here today for whom all of this is a bit foreign because you just don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be some of you that walked in here today convinced that God was mad at you, that you could never be saved, that there was no hope for somebody like you. There might be some of you just walked in with a burden on you. Can I tell you today that God loves you? That's the reason Jesus came and died, because God loves you. He's not an angry God in the sky looking for those he can pick on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. And that eternal life is the one I spoke about this morning. The eternal life that will go on and on and on that nobody can pry you out of his hand. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the Jesus that we have. And that's the hope that he promises if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're going to sing. This is something we've not always done. But the Bible says that after the Lord's Supper, after that initial moment, that they sang. And so we're going to sing and we're going to praise the Lord. We've got two songs in front of us this morning. And as we sing, perhaps this morning you would say, Pastor Craig, I need that Jesus in my life. Could I pray with you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ today? Some of you, though, might say, I have burdens. Some of you walked in here weighed down. Today, as we sing, some of you may want to come up here and just pray that the Lord would take those burdens from you. If you would like me to pray with you, I would be honored to pray with you. But regardless of what else we've got going, you've got going in your life, I'm going to ask you to sing to the Lord this morning. Sing to him because he is worthy of our praise in the good times and the bad. Let's pray once more. Father God, I pray that you'd be with us, be at work among us. Father God, that these songs would be a sacrifice of praise to the king who gave everything for us.
Thank you, Lord God, that you don't give up on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing this morning.